To Rules of the Frame. I'm your host, Connor Reed, and here's your other host, John Skinner. I'm glad to be here. This is going to be an interesting episode. <laughs> Back from the dead. Okay. I was like, are we doing a bit this time? Are we not doing a bit? Are you like one of the Universal Monster classmates, or what's going on here? We will talk about that classroom full of characters. Yes. <laughs> for those of you listening in for the first time, we are a film podcast. We'll pick a subject or theme and explore films related to those topics. Our overall goal is to encourage the general public to view film as more than just a piece of entertainment, but also a piece of art and something to discuss and explore. So we're in the midst of our Retelling a Ripoff series where we are kind of combing through films that maybe take inspiration or pay homage or even downright steal from previous movies. This is not films that are based off of books specifically, but films that have to pull some stuff specifically from previous movies so honestly whenever i was thinking about this and prepping for this i was like there's probably three or four of burton's films that we could kind of put in the homage area from this one edward scissorhands is kind of the main one that i'm thinking of but the trickier thing with those is it's a lot harder to distinguish if they're based more on mary shelley's frankenstein or James Wales' Frankenstein. And this is 100% clearly based on James Wales' Frankenstein, the 1931 universal horror film. And man, what a freaking trip. It's, <laughs> this movie is so weird, but I'm excited. This is my first time watching it, and I was honestly more pleased with it than I thought it would be. I don't know about you, John. I was uh I was not disappointed, but I it kind I wasn't a huge fan actually. Mm. It was sort of it sort of felt like a paint by numbers, black and white. It's easy to paint by numbers when you have two colors, but paint by numbers Tim Burton movie where it was like yeah we're hitting all the beats, and I just was like, I don't know we'll we'll get into it. Yeah, but. definitely. Well, I'll get us started off with a summary of the film. A young boy named Victor lives in the suburbs and loves science and his dog Sparky. He enters a science fair, but in order to do so, his dad makes him play baseball. He hits a home run, but Sparky chases after the ball and gets hit by a car. Victor is in a malaise after this, but gets the idea from a science teacher to bring him back to life with electricity after a class experiment. He digs up Sparky and electrocutes him in a storm and successfully brings him back from the dead. One of Victor's classmates finds out and blackmails Victor to teach him how to do it. The kid then tells the rest of the classmates who decide to bring their own pets back to life to win the science fair. Meanwhile, Sparky starts wreaking havoc across the neighborhood and gets startled by Victor's parents and runs away. The other kids in the classroom start bringing their pets back to life, but they all mutate into horrific B-movie creatures. They terrorize the town and it's up to Victor and Sparky to stop them. They get rid of them, but the neighbor's dog is abducted by a bat cat and taken to a nearby windmill. Victor rescues the girl and the dog, but the windmill is set ablaze by the angry mob following them. Victor is knocked out by the cat, and Sparky drags him out to safety, amazing the mob. The cat grabs Sparky and pulls him back inside, and both are crushed by falling debris. 
In the ashes, Sparky's body is brought out and the mob works together to bring him back to life. They succeed and Victor embraces Sparky and his family. So my two words for this film are aesthetically terrifying. I almost put aesthetically wonderful because just seeing something on this caliber of zaniness and weirdness and just out of the box is amazing. And even if it's not the greatest story, I love it because we like rarely ever get things like this. I mean, that being said, there have been quite a few Tim Burton either directed or produced stop motion films, but seeing a black and white animated stop motion film is just absolutely crazy. And I love it. In IMAX 3D. In IMAX 3D. Yeah. It would have been interesting to have seen this in the theaters with it in IMAX and in 3D. I don't know how that would really translate just because this was in, you know, the bump of 2012 where everything was being converted to 3D or IMAX and None of it was done very well, unless if it was actually shot like that. But yeah, it would have been fun. It's beautiful and it's wonderful. But also, man, this is like maybe the most uncanny of all of the Burton designs for the um, the characters. And I think it's because there's so many humans, whereas like Nightmare Before Christmas, it's all monsters. James and the Giant Peach, there's the one kid who always kind of creeped me out whenever I was little. But then there's the bugs and they're fine. And then corpse bride which yes there's more humans but there's also just a lot of dead zombies and skeletons and so yeah there's a a lot of really creepy looking people in here and even sparky's pretty creepy looking as well anything with teeth is just really bad in this movie they have every color of the goth rainbow (laughs) yeah every every shade of gray i do love like how much they really stuck to the specific black and white of like the classic universal films and it it does kind of dip a little bit more into like the more 50s side of that where it kind of gets almost sci-fi with like them or you know becomes like more aliens crashing down but it's still just as fun and it's not just like oh let's put a, a black and white filter like if you watch the behind the scenes it's pretty incredible just all the different like shades of grays that they had and like how much intentionality they had to have with the colors in this film so aesthetically it really captures the look of frankenstein but yeah, it's just a it's a little too uncanny. Yeah, my two words are unfocused heartwarmer. The story's not great, but it's a heart heartwarming story. Like it it hits all the beats you need to hit as a kids movie. It's not a flop, but it sort of doesn't know where it's going. And so at the end they're like everyone tries to resurrect their pet and they take over the town and it's totally out of nowhere in terms of like there's no building up of that plot. There's not a lot of conflict for most of the movie. And unlike E.T., who just went over, where that plot of I'm trying to hide this from my parents, you know, it allows for some some character development. You really don't get as much of that. So it's sort of just trotting along with, oh, hey, his dog's back, but people don't like corpse dogs, I guess. And then you get to the, the climax and it's kind of just like crazy. I do like the point that that this movie makes, which is a true point, which is that if you're a dog owner and you lose your dog, the grief is real and it matters. And if you're an owner of any other animal and your dog dies and you're grieving it, you're a weirdo. <laughs> Shelly, man, what about the turtle? All of the non-dog owners are portrayed as villains, and that's good. Yes, the dog's the only one that's worth bringing back. <laughs> The rest are monsters. 
Well, <laughs> well, we'll definitely get into that in a little bit, but I'm going to dive into a quick now in film history. So obviously, Tim Burton has taken a lot from early cinema, specifically German expressionism films. That's kind of what really got him on the map was people were like, hey, this guy's doing something new and crazy and inventive that we've never seen before. But actually, it had been done like 70 years earlier. And he just watched those films and was heavily inspired by them. And kind of on the American side of things, it didn't translate over completely. But one of the few places that it did was in horror films, which were usually a bit more low budget than maybe some of like the dramas or adventures that would come out. And so they had to rely more heavily on sets that didn't have like all the niceties that maybe a a bigger movie would have. And so they became also very expressionistic in order to fill the space more. And production design was incredibly inventive. And that is most definitely apparent in James Whale's 1931 film Frankenstein, which is just a cinematic masterpiece. It's incredible. It's just insane the amount of stuff that they're able to accomplish in that, all while also commenting on the fear of a world war breaking out, of death, of how the entire world is basically viewing death and bringing bodies back and the mutilation of bodies. And just all of the subtext in the film is absolutely incredible. But mostly the surface stuff is what sticks out to Tim Burton. And so he's actually working at Disney in the 80s and is an animator there, went to Cal Arts with Andrew Stanton, Brad Bird, all those guys, and then moved on to Disney and successfully made a short called Vincent, which we've covered in a previous episode. That's also amazing. Also very gothic, very expressionistic and black and white and claymation. And so he's like, hey, I have this other story that really relates to my childhood. It's about me and my dog and how I wish I could bring him back from the dead. And so he gets a million dollars to make a short film called Frankenweenie. And it's a live action short film. And it is set in Burbank. And it's about a young boy whose dog dies. And he brings him back to life and it has Shelley Duvall in it. And it's really interesting and actually a lot better than I remember it being. And they're supposed to premiere it behind the re-release of Pinocchio. But then Disney canned it whenever it got a PG rating because they were saying we can't screen a PG film before a G-rated film, which is absolutely ridiculous because there isn't really anything aside from maybe Sparky's death in the short film to warrant a PG rating, while Pinocchio most definitely should be rated PG because that movie is terrifying. And so this kind of sat on the shelf for a bit until I think the DVD release of Batman Returns, I believe. And then they started putting it into DVDs. I think it also snuck its way onto the Nightmare Before Christmas's DVD as well. And... It's a story that Burton has always had in the back of his brain and decided in the mid-2000s that he might want to try another crack at it. But a lot of other studios weren't really up for that. He said it specifically had to be in black and white. That was something most studios didn't want to do. And then he started his contract with Disney and kind of became the Disney golden boy again. And so they said, yeah, sure, why not? I think it was actually whenever John Lasseter became president of the like animation department that someone brought it up to him and said, hey, Tim wants to do Frankenweenie again. And he's like, yeah, sure, go for it. So I think it just took off after that. And he actually had pretty good creative control over it that he was able to make this weird of a film, have it be a Disney movie, have it be this massive of a budget. And whenever it came out, it did fine. Critics were mostly positive about it, but 
it was something that was very heavily marketed and then kind of died out in the cultural milieu. And it's it feels like it has more of an impact from the trailers and even talking with just some of my friends about it. They're like, yeah, I never saw it, but I remember seeing those really weird commercials for it. And I think that's kind of like how it's really stuck in. And that's really what I remember because I still remember very specifically those commercials that I saw like 10 years ago that were just way out there. So it's weird, but I think it's fairly underrated in... Burton's later part of his career, more of a return to form than some of the other stuff that he had been doing. And so I really appreciate it just for that. So let's start off a little bit. I mean, I definitely want to get into Frankenstein, but I kind of also want to dig into the short film as well, because I did you watch the short? I did not watch the short and it's pronounced. It's Frankenstein. good. <laughs> All right. But yeah, I remember trying to watch the short film I don't know, back whenever maybe I was in high school. And I think I just didn't really get it. And I was like, yeah, it's like a half hour. And like, was just a little bit bored by it. But going back and watching it now, it's really interesting how even that early on in a live action setting, how so much of his style kind of pulls through in it. And in some ways, I almost think it's more Burton-esque than the feature film is, at least parts of it, like the graveyard, very much so. I do have to read off this piece of IMDb trivia for Frank and Weenie, the feature film, because um, it's just a gem. There are similarities and differences between the original and remake. Similarities. They are both in black and white, and they both have a dog named Sparky. The difference is the original was a short film and the remake is a full-length feature. That's it. (laughs) Thanks, random IMDb user. (laughs) We wouldn't have known that otherwise. Zero of two people found this interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Zero. Yeah, you should have. Were you one of the two? You got to mark it as not interesting. I'll I'll put it in. Zero of three people found this interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Frank and Weenie is definitely one of the movies of all time. (laughs) I had a weird experience with this movie because I found it kind of. A little bit shrill sometimes. I'm just not a huge Tim Burton fan, mm-hmm. honestly, right? I have to be in the right mm-hmm. mood for it, and I wasn't in the right mood for it. And so generally, I'm just like, okay, yeah, you're doing the thing again. And I appreciate what he does. I do. But it's just not for me. And a lot of times, the character's like, oh, every character is all there. Like, everything, every character is a lot in a different way. And it just can wear on you, right? It's like, you know, there's no breaks. There's no yeah. breaks with, like, somebody vaguely normal. The dad, I get. The parents are the only the parents breaks. are kind yeah. of bland and normal. Yeah, the way that the the zany characters interact don't really make like a lot of sense in terms of driving the story forward. Like, first of all, the weird the weird part for me is I'm expecting like super weirdness, and then the town is very normal, like aggressively normal. I don't know if it's direct. That's the whole Burton thing is like the weirdness is in the normality because that was one of the big kickoff things with like Beetle or sorry, not Be- well, yeah, Beetlejuice and especially Edward yeah. Scissorhands because I remember going in with the exact same expectations into Edward Scissorhands because I had seen stuff like Sweeney Todd and Corpse Bride and these ones where there are just fantastical worlds where everything is over the top. And then going back to like some of the early Burton stuff and it's like everything is normal and there's one weird element, but then it turns out the one weird element is the thing that's normal and the normal is the weird thing. And so he's going back to that, which I think is Yeah, it's the one weird thing is that they have lightning all the time, I guess. 
I mean, it's clever that it's it. I don't know if it's directly based off of like Holland, Michigan, or not, but like it's New Holland, and then they have a windmill, which is like okay, that makes sense. But it's supposed to be in Burbank, is kind of the thing. His childhood neighborhood, because he's like, I can tell you the exact street and the exact address that this movie takes place on. But yeah, it does set further away, I think, because of the scale of claymation. And well, I just think it's weird because it's reminding me of a real place, but it's not. I don't think that was intentional, but yeah, the Frankenstein is so interesting because the monster is like a threat, but also like you feel sorry for him. Right. And, and, and so mm-hmm. that, that tension between like he could kill anyone at any time, the shock of him killing the girl accidentally, like that's, that's really what made it scary back then. It's not really scary now, but like what makes it a compelling plot is this, this looming conflict with, with the monster and there's none of that with the dog. Like the dog is a dog. The dog is sweet. The dog is no different than he was when he was alive. Which is, again, that's the premise of the movie. That's what he wanted to do. But because that is what he wanted to do, I think it works. It probably worked better as a short because it's like, okay, he's back. Now. Yeah. They have to like throw in the weird plot with the teacher getting fired for some reason to be like, you know, sort of be relevant, like parents getting mm-hmm. teachers fired. But it's like, but why? Like, they didn't show anything about this. The First of all, he's kind of creepy. Everyone's kind of creepy, so I guess that's normal. Oh, yeah. But it's like, it, he's not portrayed as like, he's such a great teacher that's having an effect on these kids. It's like, he taught one kid how to re- resurrect a dog accidentally, and then the, you see no impact on anyone else, right? I guess they're doing a science fair. It's like implied that, like, they love that he's at least a good teacher, but you never see it, and then they throw that in there to be like, these people are ready to rise up against the dog, I guess, you know, Mm -hmm. as an implied threat. But yeah, there's not really any real inciting incident in terms of once he's back, there's not a direct threat for a while. And it just kind of plods along and then everybody brings their pet back and it's mayhem. And he's sort of, everyone, I guess, is a science whiz, but he's the only one that's really smart. So he's the only one that can actually kill all the animals. Yeah. (laughs) At the end. But yeah, it just plot wise, the character development also... I'm not sure what the arc is for anyone. Like, I actually think it would be more effective. You can't do this in the kids' movie, but if he di- if Sparky stayed dead at the end, right? I thought that was a lesson. And then they're like, nope, I'm wrong. <laughs> Parents are wrong. Because he wants his dog back. Tim Burton wants his dog back, right? Everyone wants their dog back. I get it. But it makes for a plot that's like, science is cool, I guess. But there's no lesson in the in the failures of the other kids. They don't... Why don't they succeed? Why Why is... Sparky is successful resurrection, but the goldfish in, but the other ones aren't. It's never explained. So it's sort of just like... Because of love, John. He brought Sparky back out of love. Like I said, the contempt of a dog owner for other pets is the only thing that makes sense of this plot. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I I didn't hate it. It was visually beautiful. Kind of weird to see the stop motion in such clarity in a way that it almost Mm -hmm. like it's overwhelming a little bit. It's good. It's what's weird is it doesn't really feel like a dir- like it's an homage to the visuals of Frankenstein. Frankenstein. <laughs> Gene Wilder's had an effect no, on has. you. That's 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 the uh, canonical Frankenstein to me, honestly. <laughs> this is literally young Frankenstein, and there's no Frankenweenie. <laughs> and fr- young Frankenstein doesn't have a young Frankenstein, but it does have. That's true. They should switch titles. <laughs> Wait, 
also what I was thinking, I was like, doesn't shouldn't this imply that their last name should be Frank and Weenie? <laughs> that by the transitive property of movie film or, or film titles, uh, their their last name should. Be, oh, that's this is a complete <laughs> tangent, but how weird is the fir- the 1931 one when you actually see it for the first yes. time? It's like I was promised Igor, I was promised Victor. Why isn't that their names? Why did like you know it's weird like wish Fritz? wish.com naming for that first movie and then they revert to <laughs> they revert to the Victor name and then Igor is just invented out of a whole He comes in at the son he, of Frankenstein. Yeah, he's just sort of invented out of the either. He's not from the book, he's not from the first movie. He just gets added in and now he's part of everyone's imagination about the text and it's not he's not there. It's <laughs> But he's also like an extension of Fritz, because Fritz dies in Frankenstein, spoilers, but it's basically the same character, just a bit more over the top. Like, they're like, what if we just mixed, or what if Fritz was played by Peter Lorre, and boom, there you have Igor. But yeah, no, it's weird. It is <laughs> it is mind-blowing that there's another character in Frankenstein, whose name is Victor, Victor, and that the main character isn't named Victor. Why did they do that? Why did they do that? It's so weird. You really don't need the Victor character in Frankenstein other than for the purpose of having someone to give, basically just give exposition as to something that's kind of already happened, but also like a prehistory on the person. I'm even blanking on what, what is Frankenstein's first name in that movie? Frankenstein. It's like Lewis or something like that. Like I, <laughs> Adam? something like that. Adam. No, it's not. In Adam. that book, he sort of doesn't have a name, but Adam. Oh yeah, the creature. As everyone knows, as pendants everywhere know, Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein is the Frankenweenie's monster. <laughs> Frankenweenie's Frankenweenie. <laughs> Frankenweenie. <laughs> <laughs> fully off the rails. Um. Yeah. How can we not be up in the barrels <laughs> in a movie called Frankenweenie? <laughs> why is it called that? We need to dig into this. Because he's like, I don't know, a wiener dog, but he's not a he's wiener He's not dog. a wiener dog. He's like a terrier. <laughs> or a bulldog. Franken terrier. terrier, yeah. Franken bull. <laughs> Franken dog. Franken dog. Is it because dachshunds are German dogs and Frankenstein took place in Germany? And it's like a wiener dog, the dachshund. So then Frankenweenie to keep it German? Because they still have the Burgermeister in it. Mayor Burgermeister. That's what's interesting is, I'm glad you caught that. Because he's also, he's a combination of... Burgermeister's Meisterburger? Yeah, yeah he's, a, he's a combination of two characters, which is, which is great. Because is, he he's kind of fits as both. The weird mayoral character from the original. And then, let's talk about like, what this pulls from the the original movie. This is a weird thing where it's pulling sort of the imagined, vi- the visual style, but also the imagined sort of collective imagination of the Universal Monsters Frankensteins. Right. This is why, I mean, I definitely think this movie is a retelling. I don't think it's a ripoff because it really only takes the premise of the movie of just like, what if you brought something dead back to life? And then everything else is pretty much different, except for a mob coming and killing it in a windmill and uh, sort of she's the dutch girl sort of 
invokes the wedding right a little bit and there's a big event going on in town in town while they while they that gets interrupted by the dog i guess not really though the frank and weenie never actually disrupts anything at the end it's all it's the giant turtle and sea monsters it's the ready player one of the the dark universe which is the only successful shared universe that universe will ever get out of this yeah and it's it's a disney movie (laughs) i mean it definitely grabs a lot of the style but then it's weird too because it's also very burton which is based off the style but it's like it's just kind of this weird amalgamation it's like inception of a film style or movement because it's a reuse of an old film movement reused to look more like the old film movement but also reused to look like the reusing of the film movement it reminds me a lot of super 8 where you have someone inspired by a style has created their own style somewhat from that inspiration and then goes back and tries to ape the original and you sort of see the cracks. It's more stark in this because I think his style is further removed than J.J. Abrams is from Spielberg. So when he goes back, it's even more stark of like, oh, it feels like him, but yeah, it's not. It's him doing something else visually. And like the visuals is very dark and horrific, but then it's actually not that dark of a movie. Like... There's not as much like um, darkness till see, the I end would, as I was expecting. I'd kind of protest against that because I feel like this is honestly one of his more grotesque films. Just the fact that like there's a, a lot of extra details that isn't in the short film. You don't actually physically see him dig up Sparky. You don't see him reassembling and that sort of stuff. I was just like, I'm surprised that they could show that like him sticking the bolts into his neck and like sewing him up and like you seeing like the patches of stuff and the fact that like the cat gets impaled at the end and you just see it like hanging yeah like till, that. I was till the like, end the end is where it goes crazy and it, it gets really gross yeah. which is weird because that's more almost him indulging in his own style than it is frankenstein <laughs> frankenstein is not that horrifying obviously i mean they couldn't be back then even pre-code it was for its time it was but it's more about the character. And I think that's what's missing in this and what it, what really feels empty is that he's a lovable dog instead of this complex character that you have in the original. And it's like, we've lost something there. And it doesn't really replace that dynamic. Uh, there's no character that you're following. It's just Tim Burton really wants his dog back and so he's going to bring his dog back. Gosh darn it. But one thing I I really appreciate, actually, is because the short film does this a bit more. And I feel like a lot of movies do this where unless if the story is about the dog being a terrible dog, the dog is always very well behaved, listens to everything going on. And that's kind of how it is in the short film, except for the part whenever he gets out. But even then, it's like, oh, yeah, he's kind of causing havoc, but he isn't actually doing anything. He's just walking around. Whereas in this one, Sparky feels like an actual dog because it's like he doesn't always listen. He's always yapping. He's like doing all of these things where you're like, oh, you know, you're used to in a kid's movie. If a dog presciently knows, OK, I can't bark right now or OK, I need to go and do this. And like he only really gains that at the very end whenever it's he needs to save his owner. And 
I really appreciate that, that it breaks out of that cliche. And they even talk about that in like the making of where they're like, we didn't want this to be like a hero dog. Like we wanted him to feel more like a real dog. He doesn't look like a real dog, but you know, he definitely feels more like it. Yeah. I just think the movie, the plot loses something from that. It's one of these things where they need to do one thing or the other. And that middle third suffers. The first third is, is fine. It takes a long time to get to the dog dying, but the first third is is fine. The last third is, I don't know. It's a lot. It's chaotic and it's intense. But the middle third is like, okay, we've established that he's zany running around trying to not be found by the parents. And then it just sort of plods along like that. And you don't really have a lot of development of, of what's going on. It, it feels like he's trying to... And I think, to me, this... is feels like this because the original is so dang short and so it is so fast getting to places so gets in gets out yeah gets in gets out so it's like i almost feel like there was an excuse to it would be fun if somebody actually edited the movie more like that you know like let's get down to business now i think his characters are so intense that maybe that would be overwhelming it would feel like saturday morning cartoons high sugar cereal you know like it would just feel bouncing off the walls crazy but it's weird to have a movie that feels slow and average and the setting is very simple. I know given his style, but like it just sort of contrasts with the original in ways that it's like, you know, it doesn't feel like the original. Yeah. And I feel like this is a really fun and interesting concept and it works really well as a short film. But what I'd say about the short film is I wish it was like 10 minutes longer, but then it gets into like, you know, 40, 45 minutes. And at that point, then it becomes a feature. So that doesn't really work out. But I don't think, at least not the way that they add in stuff, that this works as a feature. Because all the stuff with the dog is really good. But all of the stuff with the other pets completely muddles and throws off the relationship between victor and sparky and that's why like the short film hits harder is because it's just about the two of them and literally sparky dies in like the opening credits it shows like he does shows this whole like little monster movie sort of thing like oh that's great let's go out and celebrate and like literally it's like tim burton presents and then the dog is seen just running out and like the camera pans over and you see the car come and then the kid yells no, and then it cuts to the graveyard, and it's like Frank and Weenie. And that's literally the beginning of the movie is the dog dying. That's a better way to start it because everything that gets padded into this just feels like, like okay, we need to have a conversation where his dad wants him to play sports. So we have to have a conversation before he's like, I'm worried he's weird. And then he has to leverage letting him do a class project that he has to do, I think. Well, no, he's entering the Entering science the science fair with baseball which never comes back after so that he can the dog can die i mean there i don't understand why the baseball i'm never gonna complain about baseball in the movie but like yeah everything that's added it doesn't seem like there's a point to adding length to it that doesn't bring anything new you could have gotten hit by a car in front of his house you know and it just feels like it could be shorter yeah and i think there's like a fear nowadays to do anything under an hour and a half. But my point against that is look at the 2011 Winnie the Pooh. That movie is a tight hour and three minutes and works so well because it knows it only has enough material for an hour and three minutes. If this movie was, I'd even say go down to like an hour and 10 minutes, 
I think it would be greatly improved. And again, I like this movie. It's not my favorite Burton movie. It's probably more of my favorite of his in recent years. But I think there's just kind of a lot of stuff that you can lose. And I'm not usually one to complain about like Burton fluff in the movies of his that I like. Because I'm like, I just like staying in this world so much that I'm fine with kind of some of the stupid stuff that gets thrown in. But yeah, it just definitely detracts from it and really shifts it from it being a 1930s horror movie into more of like 1930s and 50s as well. And like it's kind of throwing in all of these other different visual messages like that. So that's kind of where it throws me off. And I really wish he just kind of like stayed in that contained box because that's really what happens in the short film is like you you just have the house slash neighborhood and then the putt-putt golf course, which is the windmill at the end. And those are really the only big sets that you have. Like, yeah, there's some other small things like in the classroom and all that. But just having it more contained like that, I think, really helps it out. But again, I think they're kind of trying to show off because they have this big of a budget to do it. And he's like, when else am I ever going to be able to make something like this again? If you go back and look at Corpse Bride and Nightmare Before Christmas, I think Nightmare Before Christmas is a much better movie than this. I haven't seen Corpse Bride in a while, but I think I like Frank and Weenie more. You can tell, even though they can get a lot done with it, just kind of like the limitations of the budget, like how smaller some of the sets are. Like you said, it's crisp almost to a point of being unnerving. And there's something to having it kind of like more grainy, more less fluid of motions that almost makes it feel like a Ray Harryhausen effect from like, the older monster movies like that. And so the fact that it is so crisp is weird. Yeah, it's weird. It's like he has the leverage to do what he wants, and it's weird that he didn't use that as an opportunity to sort of limit himself in fun ways because the black and white is a limitation, and that works well. And But then, yeah, the length, the size of sets, it's like, yeah, it would be great if it was, it would felt more, even less, like it had less budget. You make it look like it has a smaller budget than even those other movies because... It's Frankenstein. Like like that that would feel great. That would feel authentic to to what he did originally. And but instead it's sort of just yeah, it, it feels bloated. Mm-hmm. It also almost feels more like a Leica movie than maybe some of his previous claymation stuff. Like it reminded it really me more does. of like Coraline and Paranorman and Box Trolls than it did of Nightmare Before Christmas or Corpse Bride even, even just the way the movements, because Leica hit so hard with those first couple movies and became just this huge thing around this time that I think he got some of the, I mean, I would assume that he had some of the animators from them working on this, but just like the whole process of it and the evolution of how to do the stop motion has changed so much in that even the small span of time between Corpse Bride and this there's something just different about it. And I, I don't even know like what it is technically, but even just the movements are very, very much more Leica. And it's weird. Yeah, and all the characters are necessarily bad, but they're all, like I said, a lot. And so their movements are a lot and they're just doing what they're doing a lot. And there's honestly not that many compelling characters in here. It does start to get into the Funko Pop realm where it's like look remember this remember that this guy here right and it's like okay this guy looks like the original monster this guy looks like edgar edgar's a good 
thing, although it's weird that he's like the weird non-friend friend that yeah. lurks around instead of being his assistant. And so everyone just sorts of is vaguely unlikable in a way. There's not really any likable characters outside of Victor himself. He's just a kid. He's a generic kid. Yeah, and even you kind of lose him in the movie because of all of the other subplot stuff that's happening. And that's my biggest issue with this is because of the stuff with the other pets, it really gives too much time to the other classmates and detracts from the relationship. You kind of even forget that Victor's in it at points and he's one of the more like bland Burton heroes where he's... Yeah, he's kind of an outcast, but it's almost overshadowed because you're like, he's just a kid. Like, everyone's kind of a kid when they're an outcast because they don't know who they are. And like, yeah, their best friend's a dog. And like, that's not like an abnormal thing for that time. He's like, oh, he doesn't have any friends. He has plenty of friends, I guess. And like, there's no sense that he's isolated whatsoever. And the way that other characters act is just motivated on wanting to beat him in the science fair, which is never established as a big thing, but it halfway through the movie it's like now we care about this and it's not clear what they do wrong right you're supposed to know oh they shouldn't be doing that he's fine doing it because we're rooting for him but they're not allowed to but what do they do different than him love that's not explained at all so it's like yeah it's has no bearing on any character arc whatsoever so it sort of just has to get to that ending and the ending's like okay all these monsters references to movies like (laughs) Yeah, and it also implies a friendship between him and Winona Ryder's character, who I thought was going to be a much more main part of the story, but really is at the beginning and disappears until the very end of the movie because you see them kind of like winking at each other and they're like, oh, hi. And so you're like, oh, yeah, he does have friends. Their dogs love each other. So are they a love interest? What is it? Nothing. She's a prop so that she can sing a Dutch, a very strange civic anthem. Why is Winona Ryder playing her? She actually sang that song too, which is weird. Just strange casting. The Mr. Rice Krispies mouth freak you out at all? Constantly and without ceasing. (laughs) I do kind of like that they're like, as dumb as that plot was because there was no clear answer. They're, They're just like, my kid's asking questions I don't understand. Okay, about what? Like what literally mm-hmm. what I know what you're tr- you want to it's very it was very like I don't want to say preachy but it was very like I'm going to talk about this issue now. I'm going to talk about parents being jerks to teachers. And it was sort of funny they subverted that because he was like you're all idiots. Is that the right word? <laughs> yes. Like is that the right word? And and uh, stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he's very, like, okay, when he's talking about lightning, it's very clearly about the immigrant coming over to America to, to teach, which is great. Like, the, the land of opportunity, that was funny. But then, he's, his teeth are so gross. I've been going over this, right? Tim Burton subverts what I have been saying about everyone. Audiences have been taught and continue to expect good teeth from heroes and bad teeth from villains. That's just the way it is. We can't handle bad teeth in a hero. We just, it doesn't compute. So when you put a character like that with teeth like that in front of us, we're going to assume bad intentions. So if you want to subvert that, they had to show him being a good teacher, but they're, they don't. They're just like, the kids like him, I guess. It's implied. It's not even directly shown or the kids don't even say it themselves. So it's, yeah, it's a weird subplot that doesn't really add anything to the movie and 
they didn't have time to go into it, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. It's definitely strange, but his character especially feels like out of a Leica movie. Like, he feels pulled straight out of Paranorman. Even just, like, the the way that the zombie mouths move is very similar because it's weird because there's a lot of fluidity with all of the actions and movements most of the time. And then the mouths are just very, like, choppy, which I think is intentional. But yeah, also, don't give them teeth. Oh. They're so gross. They're gross little teeth. So many gross teeth in this movie. The the gross teeth does most of the character development in this movie, to be honest. Because <laughs> it's like, hey, the neighbor's bad. How do we know? Because he has a million teeth. <laughs> Even Victor, though, his his tiny little teeth are just like, anytime he opens his mouth like that wide and you see him, I'm like, Ugh. Edgar has weird teeth. Can't trust him. That's how we know oh, yeah. his character. Nice. Yeah. Four buck teeth or something like that. And they're going different directions. And one really big hand and one little hand. Tim Burton is an American, but man, he loves British dentistry. That's a whole subplot in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I feel like we've been mostly negative. It's a fine movie. It just feels like yeah. it feels like the most median, like the most average Tim Burton movie. Like if I had to imagine without ever seeing what it would be like, and you told me it was just the average one of his movies, even though if we zoom in on it, it is very different in some ways. It just feels like it's Tim Burton doing a movie almost on autopilot, which I know he wasn't. So it's strange that it feels that way. See, you're saying median, but I think it's, I definitely think it's upper median because I don't know if you've seen the lower echelon and like how many, I'm even trying to think of like how many of his movies I would consider to be good movies or, because you have a lot of the earlier stuff and like he's just knocking it out of the park with like, Pee-wee, Beetlejuice, The Two Batmans, Ed Wood, Mars Attacks, Sleepy. Like, his whole entire 90s run is incredible. And then, really, everything after that is pretty hit or miss. I'm not a huge fan of Big Fish. I think I need to see it again. And Sweeney Todd is decent, but just, like, the terribleness of Alice in Wonderland, of Dark Shadows, of Planet of the Apes, and those ones. And so I just feel like it offsets it so much where... I kind of think this is in the upper realm because he. this is like in the midst of his whole Disney era, which is like some of his worst stuff. The fact that he actually goes back and kind of returns to like the roots of focusing on a strange part of life or like a, a weird kid finding out that he's actually normal by being weird. And like that, it's so like the return to form is the thing that really makes me happy in this. And that's why I think it's more of an upper-ranking movie for me. And even compared to a lot of other Disney movies, where I just feel like this one has a lot more heart, and especially at this time of Disney, before the new renaissance is happening, like, this is when you know, he, before he Frozen was, and all that. He was a big chunk of live-action Disney success for this era. Mm-hmm. Like, it was pretty much him. Yeah, he started it with Alice in Wonderland. And then he, they were trying to find something else with John Carter. And didn't, unfortunately. Which came out this year. And they bumped Frankenweenie back because John Carter was coming out too. And so then they bought everything and ruined pop culture. The end. <laughs> oh, man. You know, it's hard, it's hard comparing this to something like Frankenstein, which is so incredibly ingrained in culture, almost more so than the source material. If you saw someone dressed up as Frankenstein 
it's the Frank or sorry, if bleh, if you saw someone dressed up as Frankenstein's monster, it would be the monster from the James Whale movie. It's not like the original description of the original monster, because even if you look at some of the other iterations where they kind of stick more to like the sewn together and like really just chopped up version of him, you don't see that. If you put that next to and you see the Boris Karloff one, you know, people are going to say, oh, the Boris Karloff one is that's the Frankenstein's monster because of the bolts in the neck, because of the flat top haircut, because of I don't know why he's green, because all of these iterations, he's it's black and white. You can't really tell, but because he's a corpse. It's because of the monsters. Anything you do is almost an adaptation of the imagined version of the movie that doesn't exist. So it's always mm-hmm. it's interesting watching it because it's like it's a different movie than you imagine, but it's so ingrained in pop culture. These early, early pop hits are always interesting because they get lodged in the collective brain for so long that they start to change even without a reason. It's hard comparing something so recent and kind of forgotten in a way to one of the most memorable pieces of pop culture of all time. It's really weird comparing the two, even though this is made by, you know, one of the most visually recognizable directors of the day. If you ask someone, can you name some Burton movies? This would never come Very up. few people would bring up Frankenweenie. Yeah, maybe some kids. Maybe, but it it doesn't feel a whole lot like a kid's movie. It's the ballers of his milieu in that I'm not 100% sure it it existed until you watch it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right, right. It just seems like like filler on a list of his movies. It doesn't seem like a real movie. I'm struggling with this because I'm actually leaning towards saying ripoff, but it almost feels too harsh. But we have set up a, a binary here between these two because I do think it's aping the style and i don't think it remakes the story in any substantive way like it's it's just using the aesthetic of the movie to be recognizable but then doesn't do anything compelling with it so then what are you entailing in the ripoff because i feel like the reason why it's a retelling is because it really just takes the base plot of like what if you bring something back to life. The whole thing with Frankenstein is it's this whole philosophical question on what does it mean for man to play God? What is a person? What is a soul? What is all of these other things surrounding death? Like how do we interface with death? What does that look like to us? Is it terrifying? Is it intriguing? You know, there's so many of these things and none of that is apparent in Frankenweenie because Frankenweenie is all about growing up, feeling like an outcast. Uh, You can't connect with people so your best friend is an animal. You lose the animal, so you lose connection to society. Which he never, it doesn't really happen. Right. But he has yeah, like yeah. two seconds of... It's funny how we're talking about how it should be shorter, but there's a lot of stuff they didn't do, so maybe it should be longer. It should, it's another, it should be one or the other. You gotta be cut, cut it down or spend more time with the actual important stuff. Yeah, that's, I guess, my struggle is like, all the ones we've been doing, really, it's a question of, is it successful, you know, in what it's trying to do? Is it transformative of, of what it's basing itself off of? If it's successful, the answer is retelling. And if it's not successful, the answer is ripoff. Whereas this doesn't set out to do that. Can I say I don't think it's a very good retelling, but because it doesn't even attempt to pull any of the good stuff from the first one and sort of subvert that, that it 
gets to be a retelling. It just seems weird to me to like almost reward it with a our version of a thumbs up here. But again, I think you're right. I'm on the fence. Even going back to like Super 8, where I don't think it's the best retelling, like it doesn't utilize all of those elements well, I still think it's more of a retelling than a ripoff because it adds its own like flair to it. It has like a different heart, a different motive behind it. Again, I guess also our criticism on Ad Astra was that it captured the style more than the substance. So, Yeah, that's what I'm struggling with is that are we going to punish it for... almost explicitly just taking the style. It's not even an attempt. He's making no attempt to tell the Frankenstein story uh, with a dog because it, it's a dog, right? <laughs> right. It's, there's a different conflict. I'm just not sure what that conflict even is supposed to be. So that's the question is, can we punish him? I, I'm still leaning towards a ripoff. It's a ripoff of the visual style, right? It's a ripoff yeah. of the visual style yeah. to be like, look what we're doing. Hey, we're doing black and white, which I feel bad criticizing because it's bold and exciting to do a black and white and made movie. But t- the time time since then, I guess it's we've had so much exciting animation that it's like it's not enough. It was back then it was very, very awesome. But yeah, when did when did Coraline come out? Coraline was 2009. Paranorman was 2012, actually. So. It came out that came out the same year as this. This that's crazy. And I feel like Paranorman was like a bit more in the social public eye, but then now it's kind of forgotten. I think everyone thinks they're Tim Burton movies. <laughs> like yeah. that that it's just no difference between that and Frank and Weenie. To be completely honest, I am not a huge Leica fan. I haven't seen all the movies, but I've been impressed with the animation. None of them have ever really like got to me, though. It kind of feels like this where there's a lot of really cool style, but not much substance. I mean, I still haven't seen Kubo and the Two Strings, and that's the one I've always heard is like the best one. But the others that I've seen are just like, yeah, um, it was interesting, but it didn't really grip me. This is the same, right? This is not any different yeah. with this one. Oh, yeah. I think I'm leaning towards ripoff. To be honest with you, I don't want to be that harsh on it, but I wasn't all that impressed. Part of it, you know, there's the risk with any of these, right? Is you go back and see the original for the first time. You're so wowed by, oh, I saw E.T. for the first time in a long time. It's so good. I have a hard time comparing it to in such a short period of time, right? So it's a little unfair, but. Also, the hard thing about this, too, is that it seems like kind of after Sleepy Hollow is the verge of this, where. Burton starts to lose that edge of the heartfeltness towards his main character. Yeah, there's kind of some of that in Big Fish, but it's a completely different thing than like the outsider main characters. You look at Edward Scissorhands and that is like a bleeding heart. Like this is who I am, this misfit. I can't figure out where I belong. And I think that's kind of why the short film works is because he's still working through that stuff before all of this. And now coming back to it, he's kind of worked through that. Like he's done his his movie therapy sessions and he's kind of moved on past that point. It, it feels like he has a, a lot of heart for the story, but it just doesn't really translate to this iteration. Yeah, it's almost the weirdness is default weirdness. It's like, hey, here's this weird girl with big eyes and she's collecting key litter prophetically like like that one's funny but like there's stuff like yeah, this. claire like, said that was her favorite character 
But that's what's funny is like every movie has the weird dark character, right? And this movie is all that character. Yes. And, and there's not enough of them that are actually interesting to it's just like ugh, another character that they're all weirdos they're all isolated is it there are is there anyone cool like is there anyone to cool to isolate them from or are they all just isolated from each like it's just not clear that that you don't get that outcast sense for anyone right it, everyone's just performatively weird the cool ones are the ones that are not speaking roles <laughs> yes they're the ones that aren't in the science fair yeah so I do think he's sort of just going through the motions, which is weird because it does seem like there's a lot of effort put into it. But yeah, I think I'm going to say rip off because I think going forward, I'm going to say you can't just copy the parts of a movie. You have to understand the heart. You have to understand the heart of what makes something work. And if you're just copying the visual, I'm so tired of this, I'm, right? you got to take the visuals to a new place. you got to be inspired by a feel and then take it somewhere new we can talk about our favorite directors all day, but Blade Runner 2049 does a great job of this. Understanding the visual language, but also understanding sort of the story and the heart of it and making it better. Like, not everyone does that. And so when we go through these retelling or rip-off, rip I think I'm going to say, if the story doesn't work, if you don't do something, it doesn't have to be necessarily a subversion of the original, but if you're not doing something original and new with that whatever you're taking from that original, whatever you're inspired by, it's a ripoff because you're just aping someone else's style and you don't know how to use it for something better. I wouldn't say that Burton is one of my favorite directors. I I feel like if I was growing up oh, in no, no. I'm saying, the 80s. I'm saying we always talk about Denis all the time on this podcast. Oh, That's you all always saying. talk about Denis. I always talk about Denis. Burton to me is like a really rich piece of cake where I... Don't eat it for a long time. And then I think about it. I'm like, that looks really good. And I eat a lot of it all at once. And then I feel kind of sick afterwards. And I'm like, I can't eat this again. And then whenever the time comes where I've recovered, then I'm like, oh, I, I want another four slices of cake. That's a good metaphor. I also think he's like cake because I can appreciate that some people like cake, but I just want ice cream. It's not what I want. <laughs> is Denny your ice cream? Denny is my ice cream. My the uh, what is it? Art House Blockbusters. That's my ice cream. What if right. he makes Beetlejuice too? I mean, it's not that I don't like these. Mo I don't know. It, it have to, is it good? I mean, <laughs> I was about to say I felt really stupid. I was like, oh, what if he made Batman? I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> I mean, the new the Batman feels like the closest return to the original Batman. At least Gotham feels yes. the closest. Yes, yes, I 100% agree. They finally realized that Chicago's a better Gotham than New York is. <laughs> the real lesson of the story. All right, should we move on to trivia and challenge? Yes. I don't care if I already said it, but yeah, I'm sticking with retelling. All right. So our first our, disagreement. Our first disagreement. Pick your, your My resurrected animal to animal resurrect to fight to the death with each other, which is done very casually in this end of this movie. Obviously, turtles win, so I'm picking my old turtle skipper D. Well, the rat, the rat cat. Oh, yeah. Chicago, too soon. <laughs> no, that's the rat cat hybrid. Oh, I never, well, I guess I did have a cat or a cat bat. Cat bat, you're right, you're right. There was a rat. What happened? The rat died really quick. That's what The rat bit was, Sparky man, so and then got electrocuted. All right. Anyway, question number one Which of these classic horror films? was not referenced in Frankenweenie. A, The Mummy, B, Gamera, 
or Gamera. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. C, Dracula. D, Phantom of the Opera. E, The Invisible Man. Or F, The Son of Frankenstein. Phantom of the Opera. That's correct. All right, question number two. Which of these movies did Burton not work on? A, The Muppet Movie. B, The Great Mouse Detective. C, Tron. Or D, The Fox and the Hound. The Muppet Movie. Final answer. Incorrect. It is The Great Mouse Detective. He was a puppeteer on The Muppet Movie. Ah, okay. Question number three. Which of these characters did Martin Short not voice? A, Edgar. B, Mr. Frankenstein. C, Mr. Burgermeister. Or D, Nassau. Who's that last one? That's the Frankenstein's monster kid. And not Edgar. He's not Edgar. Final answer. Yep, that's correct. All right, here is your challenge. Burton has had, surprisingly, 12 of his films nominated for Oscars. Can you name them all? And there are four that actually won. You get bonus points if you can figure that out. Films that he directed that got nominated for... Oscars. Best for what? Any Oscars? Any Oscars. Edward Scissorhands. Yes. I think that was makeup. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory for makeup. Yes. Uh, I'm, I am not entirely certain what the Charlie one is, actually. Frank and Weenie. Yep. Best animated feature. Did it win? No. Who beat it? That's a good question. Let me check that real quick while you're thinking of other ones. Ed Wood. Yep. Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, he didn't direct that. Oh, this is just... Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Corpse Bride. Yes. Best animated feature. Oh, Brave One, best animated feature. Alice in Wonderland. Yes. I think that was visual effects and maybe one other one. Too big budget to not get some technical thing. That was like the first one after Avatar that... Was it? It was after Avatar, right? Uh, yes. And it was like a huge, 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 huge 3D hit. Yes. Definitely one of the ones that, yeah, launched it. Almost like both both those movies, Cultural Impact was inflated by their expensive ticket price <laughs> to get into 3D. Ah. Think of one that is kind of like his anti-Burton movie that he made. Big Fish? Yep. No way. Oh, okay. Big Fish? There's Mars Attacks? There's no, I don't think Mars Attacks won anything. Nope. What else? Two Johnny Depp lead films. I don't know. Both are two-word titles that start with S. Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. Yes. I don't, the other one, I don't know. Based on American folklore? No idea. I give up. Sleepy Hollow. Oh, okay. I wouldn't have guessed that. I'm just going to name names. Think, think, of, the, think of the 90s. I'll give you one in one grace. Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton is one of the main characters in all oh, three Batman, of these movies. Batman, 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 Batman Returns. And? Oh, Batman Forever. No. No, he didn't direct that. Why did you say and? Yeah, there's one more. I said Batman and Batman yes, Returns. there's one more. Batman. No, not in Batman. There's one more movie. One more movie of his. I know. One of his most iconic ones. Beetlejuice? Yes. Make Beetlejuice? Up. Don't... I'm not going to say it. Hold it back. Okay, good. Can you guess which of these actually won? What years was Beetlejuice? I was... I eliminated it because you said 90s. Oh, sorry. Yeah, eight. that would have been 80s. I'm sorry. Mabi, 
All right, which of these do you think my, actually won? My Beetlejuice. No! It's showtime. <laughs> All right. So there are f- four of these that actually won. Edward Scissorhands. Nope. Um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Nope. Batman. Yes, one for best art direction. Batman Returns. Nope. Edward. Yes. Edward won two. Martin Landau won Best Actor in a Supporting Role and it won Best Makeup. Alice in Wonderland. Yes. I think Alice in Wonderland won two. So it got nominated but didn't win for visual effects, but did win one costume design and art direction. Sweeney Todd. Yes. One for art direction was nominated for... Johnny Depp got a Best Performance and Actor Leading Role nomination, which is weird. And then Best Achievement in Costume Design. Everybody loves Sweeney Todd. You know what my beef with Sweeney Todd is? What's your is, beef for Sweeney is we Todd? Need to be, we need to be bringing back meat pies, all right? <laughs> we need to be bringing back meat pies in the our culture and in our food. And that movie set back meat, the meat pie cause decades. Decades. It's That's so what everyone thinks of now is... I was always really confused by that. I thought he was an actual demon throughout the whole movie. And so I remember watching that and I was like, when does all the supernatural stuff kick in? <laughs> When's hell? He's called when the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Anyways. Yeah, it's one of those weird weird names you can only get along get away with as if it was already a play. Sweeney Todd. I feel like that would be a pretty natural Tim Burton name. He called him one of his early movies Edward Scissorhands. But that's a short name. Talking about the long name. You also said it was two words. It's not two words. It's a long name. Okay. Well, the main title of it is Sweeney Todd. Or How I Learned to Stop Worrying. And and Love love the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. (laughs) (laughs) Love putting human flesh into food. Meat pies. For some reason. Which is gross. Um, (laughs) Makes the pies taste good. (coughs) Whew. All right. We're done with Frank and Weenie. I feel kind of bad because I kind of felt like we were running out of stuff to talk about, but that's how this show works. Do you want to name the next next movie? Don't do that to me, man. I never know what it is. I thought you you had it this time. No, I'll never have it. Okay. I'm zero. I have to. I have to like only focus on the one movie so that I don't accidentally watch the wrong movie. We have a guest that I was just texting you about. I'm telling you, I'm not going to remember it. I intentionally. Purge that from my brain until the next movie. I'm oh focused my gosh. Right, on okay. this movie. I'm glad. Creed. All right. Our next, the next film that we're covering is House, the Japanese film. Uh, I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. John knew that. This is an interesting one. I don't know how it's going to go. I think John is absolutely going to hate this movie. I've seen it before. I'm 99.99% positive that John is going to hate this movie. And half of the episode next time will be him just yelling at the mic. House and Jaws are the two because the studio was wanting to make a Japanese remake of Jaws. And so this will be an interesting one. And we are bringing back our good friend Travis Olson for this episode because he likes the movie more than I do. And he's maybe the only other person I know that's actually seen this movie. So here we go. And as always, please make sure to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all that good sort of stuff. You can find us at Rules of the Frame on there. That's also a great place where you can contact us too if you have any questions, comments, concerns, anything like that. Or if you just want to recommend a film or something, then that'd be a great place to do it. Who knows? You might even end up covering it. 
We'd love it if you gave us a review on iTunes. That just helps to make our show so much more visible. And now, actually, you can review shows on Spotify. If you are on the mobile app, you can scroll up all the way to the top, right next to the show description. There'll be a little star there. That's where you can do that. That would help us out a ton. Or if you just want to share us with family and friends, too, then we really appreciate that as well. Got to say thanks to John for the use of the graphic and to Caden Reed, Ethan Stafford, and Luke Hogan for the use of the theme song and the outro. This has been Film Analysis for a Modern Audience. That was my attempt at the house MD theme song.